Hi, I'm James Verdeer, and welcome to the American Institute of Biological Sciences Bioscience Talks, which is a forum for integrating the life sciences. For today's episode, I had a great conversation with Dr. Simone Soso, who is an Assistant Director of Research and Workforce Development at the MSI STEM Research and Development Consortium. She joined me to talk today about the NSF-funded Re-Envisioning Culture, or REC, network. I'll let her tell you more, though, so let's go straight to the interview. All right, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Okay, so we're going to be talking a little bit about the REC Network today. And I was hoping we could get started uh, by just your telling me a little bit about, um, you know, what that effort is in general and, and, you know, what kinds of issues it seeks to address. Yeah, definitely. So uh, the REC Network actually stands for Re-Envisioning Culture Network. Um, essentially, it's set up and designed um, through NSF funding. Um, from the RCN UBE program to create safe spaces for educators, students, and um, those in the Black community as leaders to come together to identify and share their strategies and thoughts and practices on how to retain Black students that are undergraduates within the biosciences. Um, and some of this is done through the incorporation, the celebration, and embracing of Black culture, infusing that within science. Okay, and does the need for that largely stem from the fact that traditionally science, you know, although a lot of times people tend to think of it as being a purely objective and, you know, um, removed meritocratic system, uh, has its own culture um, that's not necessarily always been an inclusive space? A hundred percent. I think a lot of times students of color, particularly black students, may not see themselves as scientists or understand how uh, within their own community, science can be solving issues that directly impact them. Okay, so uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, the work of, of the REC Network? Yeah, so recently, as of uh, November 9th and 10th, we just had our first think tank summit where we allowed, um, and we invited rather, um, educators in K through 12 spaces, as well as higher education, um, and then community leaders, as well as students within local North Carolina minority serving institutions, um, such as North Carolina A&T and North Carolina Central, as well as some community colleges that have large black populations of students, such as Forsyth Tech, to participate in a session where students and all participants get to come together uh, to share how they have been incorporating Blackness into their science curriculum, whether it's the incorporation of Afrofuturism into their lessons, where um, faculty are integrating the history of X-Men characters in science fiction um, and how they were actually created um, to reflect civil rights leaders of that time. Malcolm X is supposed to be mimicked as Magneto and um, Martin Luther King is Professor X. And if you really think about those characters, you think about, okay, one is all about everyone is equal and let's work together. And the other one is saying, uh, no, we are our own subspecies and we should be collectively uh, fighting against everyone that's against us. And so learning things like that and how people are incorporating those type of lessons as well as things that 
um, you know, everyday things that Black people deal with and colorism issues and understanding the genetics and how um, that is associated with different complexions and the combinations of genes and ethnic uh, backgrounds, as well as talking about topics um, like uh, different hair textures and, ha and the science behind that. So it was an extremely interesting conversation um, that also led to topics um, around how do you gain resources for your research lab, for your students, for your classrooms, which I think sometimes minority serving institutions aren't aware that in building partnerships with certain institutions such as industry partners um, that they can get supplies from their lab when they have to throw them out or they're closing doors um, that sometimes a predominantly white institution might be aware of and know, oh, okay, well, I know such and such is going out of business. Let me go over there and try to get this $250,000 worth of equipment that they have that an MSI may not even be aware exists. So just those type of um, benefits that would, you know, that would help them in the execution of their lessons. Oh, that's fascinating. So, I mean, it's it's one of those things where if, you know, you're a, a humongous kind of organization, you know how to uh, leverage those resources. But if you're at a smaller institution, it helps to kind of gather together and, you know, kind of share those bits of information and resources as well. Oh, definitely. Because we have faculty from, um, from, from mainly the three places I listed, but there were some that came from Duke that were research faculty, um, as well as other neighboring North Carolina institutions, Wake Forest as well. So um, it's great to kind of share that bit of knowledge in that space. Um, yeah. yeah. And what was the format like for the meeting? So we had think tank sessions, which were about an hour long. So I led a session on transforming power and um, and how, what is the definition of power? Um, how do you wield your power that you possess um, to benefit society? And how do you use your power to serve the community in which you are from through your science? And, um, and so you had typically these think tank sessions um, were an hour long to and designed to teach a portion, but also have an interactive uh, portion as well, where you have participants really thinking about um, how they play a role in whatever the, the area was. Um, and then we had a, a spark talk portion as well. And so those were shorter conversations, maybe like 20 minutes, where you had presenters talk about um, how, you know, we had an NSF director, Dr. Adrian Dixon, come and talk about the racial equity program um, entitled Racial Equity in STEM Education within NSF, and how students and faculty can pair up with community leaders in order to solve the issues of racial inequity within STEM. And so that kind of had us dive deep into additional topical areas, well, not topical areas, but additional um, sessions where we discussed um, how do you incorporate community in the development of your 
um, your projects? And how is it that you are being inclusive of community needs when designing your research platforms? Are you incorporating the fact that you want families to participate in your research and support students and their participation? Um, but what does that look like? Are you offering them food to come in the door? Are you giving them free internet to come into the door? Are you working with um, industry partners in their communities to kind of talk about the needs that they might have, anything from energy needs to uh, whatever it might be, but making sure that you're paying them for their participation and acknowledging that their effort is valuable and um, and also making sure that they are there to support all those that are doing the work. That makes a lot of sense. So, um, you know, what's uh, what's the next step for the program? So we'll be having some sessions in the spring that'll be smaller think tanks where we will invite um, specific groups of people to come together and kind of flesh out more detailed areas that they you know, that came up within our think tank, um, such as technology and how does, how are you able to address the needs of your students of color through technology in your classroom? Um, I think that a lot of institutions, as people are moving towards online platforms for their courses, um, as you are a minority student, trying to connect with the culture of a minority school, but through an online lens, it can be very difficult. So are you able to fully address Black culture in an online platform um, in your curriculum? And that's kind of an area that we would like to address um, in our next uh, session. Okay, and looking at it from like a, a really, really wide view, um, you know, is the way that culture within undergraduate education ultimately gets, you know, reformed and becomes more inclusive, is that something that, you know, happens through curriculum or is it something that happens through just a change in the culture of the academy? Um, or is it something that you address in all sorts of different ways? Oh, definitely. I mean, my job is to kind of create this workforce pipeline for industry. That's a big component of what I do. And people in in corporate realms always want to have more, well, no, they don't always, which is also part of the problem, but, <laughs> um, but they should <laughs> want um, a diverse workforce. And, um, you know, I remember there was an article that came out in um, in 2020 where uh, North Carolina A&T had received several million dollars from Walmart to create this business workforce pipeline because 60 percent of black and Latinx students that were graduating with these four-year degrees were not in careers that required four-year degrees or they were in um, underemployed circumstances so or unemployed and so that really struck me in a way that um, i really try to put forth effort to um, build up the capacity of the student workforce in minority serving institutions um, so that they can gain access 
to that workforce pipeline for industry. And part of that takes understanding the needs of industry, incorporating those into your curriculum, building relationships and networks across institutional types, as well as with industry, and um, offering students and getting them those opportunities to do internships and have faculty externships and, um, and get them resources within their institutions. Um, you can't just say, oh, go over to, I'm going to make up Texas Instruments and do an internship. Um, but when they come back to your institution, there's no follow up to say, okay, we're integrating the software that Texas Instruments uses in their labs to prepare you. So when you go to compete, you are up to snuff um, and can showcase your skill sets. Um, and so it's it's a multi-prong approach um, to supporting students and preparing institutions and building up even the infrastructure of institutions, uh, particularly minority-serving institutions, um, in order to address uh, the needs of the students and industry. Um, but I think the culture and that is why the students of color typically are successful in minority serving institutions is because the culture of those institutions are supportive, are showing them excellence in, in all shades of color. Um, and so they're able to see themselves as scientists, but when they are forced into a new culture of industry that is not necessarily that of inclusion and equity, then they feel like they are not accepted in these spaces. And sometimes that also plays a role in their success in STEM as well. So is is part of the effort then, you know, bringing some of that industry culture into the inst into the institution so that people have a chance to become familiar with it and, and comfortable with it when they're still undergraduates? Or how do you set people up for success when they have graduated and they're out in the world and a part of that workforce? I think part of it is empowering students to understand their strengths and that wherever they are, they are supposed to be there. Because I'm often asked by students, how did you ever uh, get beyond imposter syndrome? And, um, and being in spaces where people don't necessarily interact with you is not something you can necessarily always prepare someone for. I think sometimes they're thrust into situations, but that um, ability to know that you have power and that you're supposed to be in those spaces um, can go a long way. I think having mentors within those spaces, I think mentors in, you know, if you're working with an industry partner that happens to be of color and they are mentoring you, I think that can also be very effective because they can tell you, okay, this is how you're going to navigate these spaces. And having someone that can kind of reach down and um, as maybe as an alumni of that institution, maybe as someone that you reached out to on LinkedIn and said, hey, I see that you're in this position. How do I get there? 
um, you know, having that sort of interaction with people or even through programmatic activities within your course or your institution um, to kind of understand how to properly navigate. I don't, I wonder if that would be something to incorporate into a course. Like, this is how you deal with the world that is waiting for you outside of these doors. Uh, <laughs> I, that would be an interesting course to take. I will say that. And it, it would, I think it would help a lot of people might have helped me in certain circumstances. Um, like, this is what is awaiting you and be prepared. <laughs> no, that, that's an exciting idea. Um, so we're going to be on the lookout for um, your your coming sessions in the spring. Um, anything else we should have an eye out for, whether it's Rec Network or any of your other mini projects? Yeah, so I have another project that's funded through um, RCNUBE, which is called Lead Bio, which is leveraging, enhancing, and developing biology. And so that one has a focus on shedding light on persistent cultural issues within scientific societies. And we bring together annually a group, well, for the last two years, a group of um, leadership within scientific societies, faculty, um, evaluators, leaders within scientific societies that are focused only on diversity issues within these scientific societies and kind of come together and talk about, you know, three of the many challenges that scientific societies have around inclusion and diversity. And, and one of them is a lack of data to understand the demographics of their scientific societies so that they can better um, create programming that will support all members. And then two, a lack of integration of scientists in transitional phases, whether it's not, whether or not it's, if you just gave birth, and you've been at home for a while and you're trying to enter back into academia or into science as a whole, um, where do you start? If you're a student and you're going from undergrad to grad or grad to postdoc or postdoc beyond, you know, where can you fit in or even industry? Like um, someone that's not necessarily in these academic spaces, do you feel like you fit in within these scientific societies because you are playing a role in the developments and execution of science. Um, and then the third one is the third topic um, is lack of diversity among highly visible thought leaders. And I think a lot of times um, minority people, minority people in STEM are not asked to be keynote speakers at a scientific conference or asked to lead or chair a committee within those scientific societies. And those are all things that when someone looks at your CV for tenure and promotion, um, those are things that are, are weighed very heavily, but their inclusion in that um, is very limited. And so we're trying to get thought leaders and um, leaders within these scientific societies to really understand that these are ways that could be beneficial to minorities that will make them feel like they should participate within your scientific society and, um, and be more active. And those are all things that their diverse mindsets and backgrounds can and greatly benefit 
uh, those spaces. Yeah, and I had a chance to attend um, one of the most recent Lead Bio meetings, and it was it was fantastic. Lots of great content, and you've also just reminded me that I need to get together with some other people at AIBS and uh, get cracking on writing our book chapter abstract, <laughs> which is due due dangerously yes. soon to now. Um, that's a very exciting project that um, you know we're very eager to participate in. But thank you very much for joining me today. This has been great. Thank you. And that concludes this episode of Bioscience Talks. Just a reminder, the journal Bioscience is published by Oxford University Press on behalf of the American Institute of Biological Sciences and is made possible by the support of our members and donors. Thank you, and talk to you next time.